I intentionally wanted today, the end of the series, to end with hospitality. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of reasons for that. One, we're going into a season where it's very important that we open up our hands, our hearts, and our homes to people. In fact, I, 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 wanna, I want there to be a day when we could say around DOXA that uh, the people that we're connected to, both here as well as outside, none of them are alone on Thanksgiving. None of them are alone during Christmas. That, that we really did open up our, our hands, our hearts, and our homes to people. And so that, that's my hope that we will do that in this season. I think the next six to eight weeks provide a great opportunity for us to really reach out and, and call people in. And uh, one of the reasons why I even wanted to do this series is because I know part of what we need to do is ask, how can we make space for people? And uh, I, I hope that you've been thinking through that all along. It's interesting in 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, when the apostle Paul is instructing Timothy on how to set up leadership in the church, he, he says of the leaders or the elders that one of the requirements for them is they must be hospitable. And then in uh, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, says the same kind of thing, but he takes it a little bit further because he talks about the, the elders are supposed to be amongst the people. In a sense, they're supposed to be living life with them. And then he said they're supposed to be set an example for the people, that they would be able to watch the leaders of the church, watch their life, and be able to say that's what it looks like to live out the commands and the instructions that Jesus has given us. And in particular, if you put those two passages together, you would come up with a conclusion that elders are meant to be hospitable to set an example to the church so the church will be hospitable, so that we all will be a hospitable people. And so that's what we're going to talk about today because at the heart of hospitality is opening up our lives and homes and hands in such a way that they would understand that there's a God who's opened up his arms for them and welcomes them in through Jesus Christ. So we are speaking about the truths of God in our actions in how we're hospitable. In fact, think of it this way, the, the actions of the church oftentimes are the stronger message of the church. That we can say we believe something, but it shows up in what we do, and when it shows up in what we do, the message that they see is much oftentimes much louder than the message that they hear. And so I want us to be a church, a family that tells the truth of our God as a hospitable people, a hospitable God. It's interesting if you take the, the meaning of the word hospitality, which I want to start with, just say, what does it mean? And then second, how do we do it? If you take the word hospitality, it's made up of two words that really, one of them, uh, you, if you were to take it from the Greek and translate it, it would say it's, just, it's a kind of love. The other is uh, a stranger. So the idea of hospitality is love for the stranger. That's really what it is. It's, uh, oftentimes, I think, when we hear hospitality taught or we think about it maybe in our minds, we think that's like just being nice people with our friends, you know, and having our friends over for dinner and having great holiday times with our relatives. And some of you might go, my relatives aren't my friends. That's why this week is not fun for me. I'll pray for you that they might become your friends. But, but oftentimes we think hospitality is opening our, our hearts, our hands, and our homes to those who are already connected to. But the hospitality in the scriptures are opening up your heart, your hand, and your home to those who are, feel outside, who don't feel connected. It's, it's a sense of saying, I want to love the person who doesn't belong in such a way that they feel like they belong, so they'll actually want to belong. 
And I love those who don't belong in such a way that they feel like they belong, so they'll actually want to belong. Uh, it's, it's loving the outsider like an insider so that they become an insider. And that's the goal of hospitality. It's, it's to move people from disconnected to connected, from unloved to love, from, from uh, a sense that they, they really don't have a people to now they have this incredibly loving people that they live life with. If you want to look at the, the narrative of the scriptures, you'll see hospitality running from the beginning to the end. In fact, uh, I'm ending our Proverbs series and I won't be preaching from Proverbs today. So, and the reason why, it's not because it doesn't say a lot about it. In fact, almost in some ways the whole of the book is about hospitality because it's about walking the path that leads to life and a life that gives life to everyone else. I mean, so since the whole thing that we just did for the last 11 weeks was all about hospitality. What I want to do today is I want to give us a big picture view, a run through the scriptures, as it were, so you can see that the whole story of God is about hospitality. Let's go to Genesis 1 and 2. I'm just going to tell you the story. You're welcome to look at it, but uh, maybe read it later. But if you go back in the very beginning, you see God taking great care to create a place for man and woman to exist in such a way that they, they find shelter and safety. They find rest and care. They have every single need met by God. They, they are able to even be themselves. It's, you know, the, the language of the scriptures for Adam and Eve is that they were naked and unashamed. And what that really should help us understand is that they felt no need to cover up, no need to pretend, no need to put on the facade. In other words, the very beginning of the story is the most hospitable place that you've ever heard of because it was a place of rest, provision, safety, love, Perfect harmony with God, perfect harmony with one another, perfect harmony with creation. It was the, the epitome of perfection. And uh, God actually said it was very, very good. However, as many of you know, chapter 3 of Genesis tells us the story turns. Because instead of being at rest with God, with each other, with God's provision, they believe the lie that life is better if we go outside of God outside of God's plans, outside of God's provision, outside of God's ultimate desires for us. And so Adam and Eve are deceived into believing it's better to be your own God, it's better to be your own provider, it's better to be your own uh, kind of lawmaker, it's better to be the one who provides your own house and home for yourself. And as we know, the garden quickly moves from being a place of hospitality to a place of hostility. That's what sin does, by the way. When we when we rebel against the giver of life, when we turn away from God and walk in our own ways away from him, we go from safety and security and provision and love to brokenness and danger and loneliness and hostility. We experience hostility in our relationship with God, not because he's wanting to be against us, but rather because we've turned away from him and we find hostility in our relationships with one another because when our relationship with God is not good, it affects how we relate to one another because we were designed to flow as a human from God to us, from us to others, that whatever we worship, whatever we love, whatever we submit to shapes us, makes us who we are, and then out of that we live. And so when you submit to and love and worship the giver of all life, it produces great life in you, which flows out of you to others so you can give life away. And so what we see right on, right, right on in, right in the beginning of the garden is hospitality towards hostility. Unity goes to division 
between God and man and man and women and man and women and creation. They go from being ones who feel like they belong to being outcasts, kicked out of the garden. They go from being completely at rest to being full of unrest and anxiety. And I, I want to I just have us think through as we think about hospitality, part of what we're doing is we're, we're pointing backwards to what was before sin. We're, we're saying there was a day when life was great with God, with each other, with the world. And those of us who are being restored back to God through Jesus Christ are getting to be restored back into right relation with God, with each other, and with the world. And so in a sense, God is making his home in us by his spirit dwelling in us so that we can be a hospitable people that point backward the garden and say, we all have a distant memory of a day when it was great. We weren't there, but we know of it. It's written in our hearts. In fact, the scripture said that he, God writes eternity on the hearts of men and women. And so we, we can ha- kind of remember back that it had to have been better you ever had those days when you're like, it's got to be better than this. This can't be all there is. Please tell me. Please tell me it's better. And it was. And when we're engaging in hospitality because God, God makes his home in us and he wants to make his home through us, we're also pointing forward to a future when it will be better. When not only will God make his home in us, but he will make his home amongst us. That there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, a, a new garden-like city that that will have the memory of the brokenness but the glory of the redemption. It will have the, the memory of the garden being lost but then the garden being regained. It will, it will be a day when we'll celebrate forever being at home with God in perfect harmony with him and with each other and with all of creation. And it's interesting that God thankfully does not leave it in Genesis 3, but if you jump forward to Genesis 12, 13, 14, and 15, you you see him calling a man named Abram. And here's what's beautiful about it. God does not call Abram because Abram does anything good. God doesn't call Abram because Abram's the most likely candidate to be the beginning of a new humanity. God doesn't call Abram because he, he perfectly follows God. God calls Abram because God likes to take things that are not to make them into something. He loves, he loves taking the mess, the chaos, the, 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 uh, the non-existent, and making it into something. In fact, as you think about that, think about hospitality. God is all about making home where there is no home. He's all about making life where there's no life. And so he calls Abram, who's been married a long time, can't have kids, and many of you know the story that God calls him the father of many nations before they ever have a baby knowing that he's going to enable them to have a child, and through that child, a nation will be birthed, and through that nation, God will be at home with people again, and then as he's at home with people, he'll call that nation to be a home for the people so that all the nations will be gathered in to be at home with God once again. That's that's Israel's calling, to be a nation that's been blessed to be a blessing, that through them, all the nations on the earth might be blessed, and Many of you know the story of, of Israel. You know what happens to them. They, they start to grow, and at one point, one of the sons that's several generations past, uh, Abram, his name is Joseph, uh, gets sold into 
uh, into the, the, the place of Egypt through a variety of bad cir- circumstances, some betrayal, some denial, some rejection, some false accusations that come against him. And eventually he finds himself by God's hand at the very right hand of the Pharaoh, helping the Pharaoh manage the, 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 all the, the, the food supply in light of the, the famine that's going to come that God gives Joseph the ability to predict through the dreams that are being had by the Pharaoh. And, and so God's people who are now suffering in the land, not in Egypt, but in another place, ha- are not going to have their provision. But God knew all along and took what people intended for evil and intended it for good so that God's people could come into Egypt as strangers and be at home in Egypt and have all of their needs met. Some of you know the story. And so they come in they get fed, they get cared for, they get homes, they get, they get completely pro- provided for. And the first Pharaoh is a very beautiful picture of a hospitable leader who welcomes in the stranger nation and loves them and cares for them. And it feels a little bit reminiscent of Genesis 1 and 2. And then what you have is the next Pharaoh forgets. And it goes from hospitality to hostility. Just like Genesis 1 and 2 goes to Genesis Three, hospitality becomes hostility. And the Pharaoh turns on them and realizes this nation is getting huge. If we don't shut it down, if we don't enslave them and make them work for us, they're going to take over and they'll be the nation that swallows us. And so they become enslaved, they become ill-treated. They, instead of being hospitable, they, they begin to treat them as enemies. And it's, it's in that in that situation that God then comes in and he rescues his people from slavery out of a place of hostility, moving toward a land of hospitality where he's gonna lead them into a land of rest he calls the promised land, a land that will be flowing with milk and honey where the, the grapes are so big it takes two people to carry a, a cluster where, where there's this gorgeous place they get to be brought into once again and it's reminiscent of God bringing Adam and Eve alive in the garden. God's gonna bring them into the promised land. And this is the thing I want you to listen to and you can open your Bibles if you'd like. In Leviticus 19, God is giving them instructions for the kind of lives they should live once they get in that land and as a people that are set apart to be his display people, his hospitality people for the nations to show what God is like. This is what he says in verse 9. This is just referring to harvesting, but it has a much bigger principle. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes off of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, if you do a reading in particular of Leviticus, but other passages in the Old Testament, you'll hear that phrase, I am the Lord your God, after a command. And what God is doing there is he's saying, you know what I'm like. You know what I've done. I am your God. Which means, I'm commanding you to do what I am, show what I'm like by how you live, and do what you do based upon what I've already done to you. I I was hospitable to you, I loved you, I called you, I chose you, I made you into a people. Now, because I am the Lord your God, whatever I've done to you, I plan to do through you. That's the trajectory of how God works. In fact, if you know God through Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, ask yourself, what has God done to you? Because whatever he's done to you, he wants to do through you. 
That's what's happening here. He's saying, I'm the Lord your God. I, I did something for you. But hear what he's saying. He's saying, make space to care for the stranger. Don't glean your fields to the edge. Leave a margin. Leave room for others to be fed. Don't try to get every grape that falls. Leave some. He's saying, I want it to be that your lives have enough space in them that it's not hard to care for people that I bring along your way. You know, I've, I've discovered some of my own propensity, maybe yours too, that I live my life to the edges. I don't want to create margin in my schedule for the what if, for the, the drop-in, for the possibility that someone else might have a need. And I, I've learned as I'm growing that the, the better scheduling even of my week is to create space for the interruption. In fact, I used to, I used to see people as interruptions. Like, I got work to do. Don't you understand? Like, you're, you're interrupting my work. And God has been teaching me over the years that people are my work, ultimately. You might go, not mine. I work with widgets and uh, zeros and ones and code. And it's like, yeah, but even you are doing something so hopefully you can serve people. Don't lose sight of the fact that all of our work was meant to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with healthy humans. So, so sometimes I've, I've had to actually say, how do I create more space for the interruption, which isn't really an interruption? Okay, I also found that I have to rethink my financial budget so that I don't glean to the edge by saying, I got, you know, I, 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 I save, I give, and then I got all my I got groceries and whatever it may be. And then I'm like, I, what if there's a need that comes along? Do I have anything left? Years ago, I realized as we were living on mission and community, uh, reaching out to more and more people, I watched our grocery budget keep climbing, right? Because you just keep feeding people. And I mean, sometimes when I sit down with people and I tell them what our grocery budget is, they, they, they are like, are you kidding me? And I say, you don't know what our life is like. We're trying to open up our life to feed, to have meals together, to enjoy life together with people. That costs. I have to budget for that. I grew up in a household where my parents always had more in the pantry than our family needed. And it wasn't because they were worried about some kind of wartime craziness that they're going to have to hide out in the, you know, underneath in the, the ground shelter or something. It was because they were waiting for people to show up. They're expecting people to come by. Often on a Friday night, I'd come home from a date and there would be teenagers filling my house with my parents, talking to my parents. And I remember thinking, like, why would you want to hang out with my mom and dad? Like, what is wrong with you people? Like, don't you have a life? <laughs> and... I'd sit there and listen and I'd watch and see that they had found a family in the Vanderstout home. They had found a mom and dad maybe that slowed down to take time to be with their children. Uh, in fact, as I, one of the reasons why I picked every topic throughout the series is because I know that every single topic we talked about require, is required if we're going to actually be hospitable people. Like we've got to make room for friendship. We've got to make room for our kids. We've got to be good parents who train them the way they should go. We, we've got to actually figure out how to rest so we're arrested people so when people come up, we've got something to give them out of a heart that's overflowing from love from God because we wait on the Lord in prayer and in solitude and reading his word and so we can come out with people and go, yeah, I'm ready to love you. Because I've got so much from him to give you. And so I want to encourage you, ask yourself, 
Are you living life to the margin or are you leaving margin in your life? Are you making space in your home? Some of you even make, I'd encourage you to make home choices about how could we have space for people? I know some of us can't afford that. It's okay, come live at the people who can. Like, join their house. Have the party at the house that, can, that hosts and the people who don't have the, part, the, house, the, host, the hosting house, you, you bring your heart. You bring, you bring your, your ears. You bring, you bring your hands. You, we all have space, if we will make it, to love people well, to give them our heart, to give them our hands, to give them our home. Uh, it was not abnormal for us with my family growing up for my dad to come home from work and sit at the dinner table and say, hey, there's another person that needs a place to stay for a while. Which one of you wants to give up your bedroom? And we'd make the decision together. He didn't force it on us. We always prayed together. And, and I, I grew up believing everybody did this who knew Jesus. Honestly, I did. I thought, I remember when I started getting into ministry and, and pastoral ministry in particular, and I'd meet with families and go, so like, you know, who have you been inviting into your home and into your life? And they're like, we don't do that. Our house is our refuge. Our, our house is our shelter. Like, that's for us. I'm like, no, no, no. Jesus is your refuge. Jesus is your shelter. Your house is a place that he gave you for ministry. He gave it so that you could open up your life to people who need to know what it's like to be at home with God. In fact, let me say it this way. Our job, family, is to love people in such a way that they feel at home with us so they'll actually eventually be at home with God. It's to create a home, a belonging, that gives them the sense of what it would be like to belong to the family of God so they'll actually want to belong to the family of God. By the way we love them, by the way we open up our lives, by the way we welcome them in, and we've got to make space for that. In fact, can I encourage you at the end of the series to maybe with your family, with your roommates, with your friends, just stop and say, what are one or two or three ways we could create margin for hospitality? Is it a scheduling thing? Is it one meal a week that we just know we have an open seat at the table? Is it a bigger table? Janie and I bought a, t- a table that could seat 12 people at one point because we're like, we need to have more room for people to eat with us. Is it, is it opening up a room in your house that you make a place just in case someone needs to drop in and have a place to stay for a season? Is it rethinking your budget so you actually budget in hospitality for others? And is it not, make, don't make it just for us. Make it for the stranger. And I, what I mean by that is the one who feels outside, the one who doesn't know what it's like to be brought in to the family of God. Keep reading, 19, verse 33. Not only should we think about making space, but we've got to think about the way in which we make space. Look at verse 13. When a stranger, or verse 33, Exodus 19:33. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. So we should be asking, are we hurting the stranger, the outsider, the one who doesn't yet belong. Second, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. There you hear it again. What is he saying there? He's saying, I want you to love them like I loved you. And I want you to love them like you would want to be loved. I want you to open up your hands and your heart and your home in a way that you would do for you. In a way that I did for you. That's God's command to Israel. And why is that? Because he knows if they were to say, I want to love you with my heart, my hands, and my home, 
as I would love myself, and I love myself as the Lord God has loved me, because that's how, that's how I know love now, as I know love in a new way, then if I were to love you like he's loved me and like I would love myself, then I'm actually loving you in a way that it'll feel like you are as important as I am in this household. I know this may sound like trite, but sometimes that means I give up my lazy boy recliner that I like to sit in. My kids know that that's an important thing. You may not know how important that is. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's, I, wanted, I remember I was traveling one time and, and I, I went into the house and they said, here's where you're going to stay. And I'm like, well, this is the master bedroom. Where do you stay? And they're like, well, this week we'll be staying with our daughter. Like, no, 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 no. You don't need to do that. No, you're our guest. We want to love you like we would love ourselves. And normally we sleep there, but this week you sleep there because we're loving you like we'd love ourselves. So we hope you enjoy it. And I walked in, and there on the bed was a nice care package with some snacks, and somehow they found out all my favorite snacks. <laughs> Funny that they did that. They paid attention to me and my needs. And I mean, I won't give you all the snacks because you you have to figure that out if you really want to love me well. <laughs> but it was, so, I mean, I just felt so at home. In fact, I remember, I've, I've been to that place a few times. I'm like, I love going to their house. I look forward to it. It's better than a hotel. Because the hotel doesn't know me. They don't know what I need. They don't know what I love. And they, don't, they didn't treat me like they would want to be treated. Now, some hotels do a very good job of that. But a lot of them don't. And I don't expect them to. But I do expect the church to. Because we've been loved so richly by God. In fact, if you look at Deuteronomy 10, verse 18, God clarifies again in another place. He says, He, referring to the Lord your God, as Moses is writing this down, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And that's another, whenever you see the words fatherless or widow or orphan in the Scripture, it is, it's both literal and but it's, there's also a figurative nature in it. It's a, there are literally fatherless widows and orphans that Israel was called to care for, we are called to care for, but it's also anyone who in a sense is without a, without a family. And I, I want to clarify something here. Just because someone has a roof over their head or doesn't have a roof over their head, but if you, just, if you have a roof over your head, it doesn't mean you're home. It's the difference between living in a house and being at home. Being at home is being loved in a family, being cared for like family, being welcomed like family. And, uh, you know, I, I, a few years back, Philip Phillips really made it big with American Idol, and then he got, remember the, the, the Olympics, that one particular theme song, I Want to Make This Place Your Home? Settle down, it'll all be clear. Remember that? Don't fill your mind with the demons and fill you with fear. You got another song? Na, 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 na. Okay. I want to make this place your home. Right? What if we took that? I mean, I know it might be cheesy and all that, but it's not. What if we said we want to make the place we're at feel like home for whoever's with us? Family, I want to encourage you. We have a greeting team, and they're awesome. But I want to remind you, the whole greeting team is all of us. Let's make people feel at home when they come here. Let's make people feel at home when we're at a restaurant 
You ever try to make a waiter or waitress feel like they're at home in the restaurant? What if you love them like you loved yourself? What if you bless them like you bless yourself instead of going like, this is filthy service, they should do better. It's like, what if you say, maybe they've had a bad day. Maybe, they're, maybe they just are going through a divorce. Maybe they just lost a loved one. Maybe something's going on that's ruining their world and we get to be at a place where they find home in the middle of their hostility. They get hospitality in the middle of the restaurant. What if instead of saying, be hospitable to me, we say, let's be hospitable to them. Let's love them. Let's ask for how we can care. I remember doing that one time with a waitress that I'd, I'd been going to the restaurant over and over again. And one day I said, hey, how are you doing? And she, she said, you know, you ask me that every time you come in. And I said, it's because I care. She goes, you know, I actually believe you do. And then she poured out her heart and started weeping in front of me. I'm alone. I moved to this city thinking it'd be a great experience. Bought a house. It's falling apart. I got nobody to help me. I gotta lay a bunch of tile. I don't know how to do it. I got a bunch of broken tile all over the floor. And I'm just in this house every night crying myself to sleep, wishing somebody could help me. And I said, I know people who lay tile. How about if we help make your home, your house a home? And we started getting into her life. And a few months later, she was at our, our gathering. And I remember the day when she went forward to take communion with some people because she finally expressed faith in Jesus. And I thought, she had to belong before she could believe. She had to be loved before she could know the love of the Father. That's how he does it. And we, we said, how can we be home wherever we go? Family, could we take that kind of that conviction and say, God, how can we be a home wherever we go? Israel was called, even when they were leaving the, the, the land and going into the promised land, in that in-between stage, God still said, I want you to be a home. I want people to be able to come in and experience my love. And he says in verse 19, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. In other words, don't just make space, but love them like yourself. In other words, love them like I loved you. Remember what I did with you. You were, you were, you were wanderers. You were, you were a nobody people. And I made you into somebody. I took care of you. I brought you into Egypt. And, and I, I love the fact that God gave them the experience of Egypt's hospitality and Egypt's hostility in the same place. So they could leave and go, which one do we want? I'm choosing hospitality. I want to be at home. Which one do we want to give? I want to give hospitality because I know what it was like to be a stranger. I know what it was like to be a sojourner. I know what it was like to be an outsider. Anybody know what it's like to be an outsider here? You ever been one of those people? Like you come in a new area and you're like, there's a click here. Never gonna get into this one, right? Yeah. Some of you, you, you hate even thinking about high school or junior high because you fell outside all the whole time. In fact, I wanna speak to the students who are in high school or middle school right now you guys could make people at home in your school that feel very much outside. You have an opportunity to be hospitable at your campus and call people into a place of being loved and accepted. And please don't let anybody look down on you because you're young because you think, oh, I'm too young, I can't make a difference. You could change your campus if you decide you want to be hospitable wherever God sends you. That's what God wanted for his people. Can you imagine what it was like for, for Israel? He, he leads them out of Egypt and they're going, where are we going to go? We don't have a home. And God goes, I'll be your shelter. I'll be your refuge. Well, what are we going to eat? I love it. They get up in the morning, bread on the ground. Fresh bread. 
I grew up in, I grew, not grew up, I spent some time in Denia for a while, and I lived, that's right on the Mediterranean in Spain, and I was, uh, I had a, my little apartment was above a bakery, and I'd wake up every morning, oh, fresh bread. God's going like, I'm going to give you breakfast in bed. You just get up, don't do a thing, it's there for you. You got to collect it, a little bit of work, but that's not much. And then he says, don't store it overnight, because I want you to get fresh bread every day except for on the Sabbath. So that day, I don't want you to do any work, so that will be breakfast and bread day because I want you to store it overnight. Do you guys know what, remember what happened? When they tried to store it overnight on the other days, it rotted, but when they stored it on the night before Sabbath, it was actually fresh again the next day without them even going out and gathering it. It was just there, right there. You wake up and, there, yeah, fresh bread. God's going, I want to take care of your needs. I want you to be able to eat well. I want you to rest well, and your sandals won't wear out. Think about that. You know, like they, they didn't have to replace their sandals. God just made them last. Of course, they grumbled and complained and weren't ever happy with what God gave them. So he gives them quail, and then they eat it so much it comes out of their nostrils, and they pretty much barf it out. Remember that? And they're barfing up quail. That would be a beautiful sight. And, and God doesn't go like, get out of my house. You're messing it all up. No, God cleans up the mess over and over and over again. And the rhythm of God with his people is hospitality, Rejection of God, hostility. Hospitality, God comes back. I want to invite you in. I love you. I care for you. Forgive you. Clean you up. Let's go. Hospitality, love, care, feeding, wonderful union. And then they rebel again. Hostility. Hospitality, hostility. Hospitality, hostility. That's the rhythm of God's people. Some of you are going, that's my life. I feel at home with God and then I run away. I feel at home with God and then I run away. And God's going, I want to make this place your home. I've got wide open arms like the story of the prodigal son where the father is running out to reach him and throws a party when he comes home. And some of you in the room right now need to come home to God. You have been running and running and running experiencing the hostility that you get from running from God and he's saying, come home. I want you to know my love. I want you to know my care. I want you to be in the refuge of the shadow of my wings. I want to protect you. I want to feed you. I want to care for you. Come home. That's what he wanted Israel to be for the world. A place where they could come home. A place they could belong. A place where they knew they were loved. And of all the people who knew it, it was Israel. They knew what it was like to be rejected, be discarded. Do you imagine wandering through the, the, the wilderness, through the desert, just going like, does anybody care? And God's going, I do. In fact, one of the things I love about the narrative is God is right there in the midst of his people. He doesn't go far away. He's there in the midst he doesn't just say, I want to make this your home. I want to be at home with you. I want to go with you through the journey. I want to join you in the suffering. I want to walk with you in the loneliness. I want to provide for you in the desert. Some of you, maybe that's where you're at. You're like, I feel so alone. You don't have to be. God wants to come and make his home with you like he did with Israel. But like Israel, we forget it's interesting, at one point Israel, when they got into the land, they forgot that God had done all of it and they started to take credibility for it. Look at what we did. 
we, are, we did this. They felt entitled. Why would I give it away? I earned it. Maybe that's for some of us where we're at. We're like, I'm not going to just give people stuff. I'm not going to, oh, I worked hard for this. This is mine. Can I just reflect with you a moment? God in his grace created you the way you are, gave you what you've been given, raised you in a unique situation, probably put things around you that enabled you to do what you do, probably gave you the skills and abilities to engage the way you do, probably gave you the mind or the the strength or the discipline to keep pressing forward. Please, please, don't take credit for you because you didn't make you. God did. You might have worked hard with what he gave you. That's a great thing. But don't ever step back and go, This is my self-made world. No, God designed you and made you, and the world you're getting experiences by his grace. It is a gift for you to have what you have. And it wasn't just for you. It was so that you could bless others with what you have, so that you might call people to know a God who loves them. Israel didn't do it, but Jesus did. Israel didn't love the outsider-like family, so Jesus came to be the better Israel who brings into the family the outsider and makes them the child of God that they are. I love it when you hear this phrase from Jesus speaking to a guy who's kind of considering following Jesus and he's contemplating what it would cost to leave what he has to follow Jesus and Jesus says, the son of man has no place to lay his head. I want you to think about that. The eternal word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ, is homeless. Paul says it to the Corinthian church in his second letter, he who was rich became poor so that in his poverty we might become rich. Jesus gave up his home so we could come home. Jesus gave up his riches so we might be rich. And as you think about Jesus coming into the culture he did and speaking about hospitality, I want you to keep a few things in mind. He's speaking into a Roman world which is similar to what Israel was experiencing when they were in Egypt, when they were at home and then all of a sudden not at home because the nation they were in starts to take over and starts to do it in a very destructive way. That's what Israel's starting to speak with, or experience with Roman culture and the Roman rule, just kind of trying to squelch all they can out of them, squeeze every little last drop of, of, of pro, produce out of the Israelites. So they, they know this. They know this Roman world. They're also in a Greek world and in a Hebrew world. There's a, kind of these cultures are all coming together when Jesus is speaking. And so remember when he speaks about hospitality, one of the things he talks about is that we're supposed to, we're supposed to love our enemy as ourself. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying express hospitality to your enemy like you would love yourself. He's just restating what we just read in Deuteronomy that Israel was always meant to be that people who display what God is like and that he loves his enemies Home. He loves his enemies to become children. He loves his enemies to belong. So Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. When someone asks you for something, don't just give them what they want. Give them what they need. Give them even more than what they ask for. And that picture of hospitality in a hostile world, I thought in some ways got best captured by a movie called The Lone Survivor. Have you guys seen that movie? Okay. It's about... Five Navy SEALs who go into Afghanistan on a reconnaissance mission. They run up against this older gentleman, uh, a couple, couple people from the Afghanis that are kind of tr- shepherding some goats, and 
when they first find them, they grab them and capture them and tie them up because they don't know what to do with them because they're afraid if they let them go, they're going to go tell on them and then obviously they're going to be killed. So they have this argument of what they're supposed to do. Now, here's what they don't know. In that culture, when you stumble upon somebody, you're supposed to treat them like family. And then there's an obligation, a familial obligation to one another. They didn't do that. And so what they did is they treated him like an enemy. Instead of exercising hospitality, they exercised hostility, which led to greater hostility. Because if you know much of the story, they then finally do release them after they've not treated them well, and they go tell and reveal where these men are at up in this mountainside. And the next thing you know, these guys are under fire. Four of them lose their life. One guy is running for his life, barely going to make it, and you find himself in the river. Now, some of you are going, like, don't spoil it for me. You had a long time to watch the movie. It's your fault, okay? <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's called Lone Survivor, so you kind of can figure it out. It's a true story. He made it through. So, uh, but he's in the river, and you're in that point of tension because another older man and his son stumble upon the river and find him in the river, and your first thought is, you're in trouble. But what we don't know is that their hospitality laws in that part of the world are if you stumble upon somebody else, it's your responsibility to treat them like family even at the cost of your own life. So they bring, bring the man is freaking, you know, he doesn't know what to do. He's scared to death. They think he's, they're going to take, he's, he's going to be led to his death. And as they enter into the gates of the town, everyone looks and you can see they know something's going on. They realize the implications. Of course, if you're the one watching the movie and you don't know this, you think the village is going to turn on them and kill them. Or someone's going to you know, leak the information to the Taliban and then they're going to just turn them over. So you're thinking they're, they're keeping them in, in this room until they can turn them over. But what you don't realize is the whole village is committed to hospitality. Love them like yourself which means now we have to give our life for this man. And the Taliban come in and blow up the village and many, many lives are lost, but they all are willing to lay down their life for this soldier. And he lives. And I got done with that movie and I walked away going, that's what Jesus did to us. That's what Jesus did for us. Except for better yet, Jesus didn't stumble upon you. Jesus pursues you. Jesus chases after you. Jesus comes into the camp. Jesus leaves heaven to come into earth, taking on flesh, dwelling amongst us, fully aware that it will cost him his life. And he goes amongst the people who he, he proclaims the love of God to, and he serves, and he, he gets down low, and he washes their feet, and he protects them from the religious people who want to throw away those who are in sin and discard those who don't keep the law perfectly. He, he welcomes in the tax collector that nobody loves and he goes to his home and he, he speaks good news over all these wretched people. This is Jesus and he knows it's gonna get him killed. And he does it because he knows he has to be killed so that we can come home. He does it because he knows that the only way to be at home with the Father is to have someone else die for our sin, pay the cleaning bill, the mess we made on this earth. Someone else had to mop up the puke. Someone else had to die for our sin. It's interesting. 
Jesus is also speaking to a culture that had this kind of superstitious idea that the gods were amongst them, walking amongst them, and at any point you could be running into a person who might actually be a god in disguise. It's interesting that when you read Hebrews 13 too, as it's kind of, you have that context in your mind, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now, it's, it, what I love about this passage is it's not giving in to the idolatry of the culture saying, yeah, there's a bunch of gods amongst us, be afraid. It's actually taking a cultural idea and saying, let me just change the way you think about that. The word angel means messenger. And what, what, what you might think of as you hear that, that there might be messengers that are showing up at your door. There might be messengers that are running along the path of life with you. There might be messengers in the next cubicle. A messenger is somebody sent on, on behalf of another. And when you hear Jesus say in, in Matthew 25, I, I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was hungry and you didn't give me food. And, and they say to him, when did we see you? When did we see you like that? And he said, whatever you've done unto the least, you have done unto me. And, and it's like, when did Jesus show up? He showed up in the cubicle next door. He showed up in the neighbor across the street. He showed up in the apartment uh, dweller across the hall. He, he's showing up all over the place as a messenger, as someone that God is probably sending your way for you to love home, for you to love like they belong and God has given you and I opportunities every single day to love them to Jesus. And, and, and what, I, want, I want you to hear this. If you know the love of God, that when you were naked and ashamed, when you, you, knew, you knew you were sinful, you knew that you couldn't stand before a holy God, you knew someone else had to clothe you with his righteousness, and the only righteousness worthy of clothing you to stand before a holy God is Jesus Christ. If you believe that you got that, then you want to clothe the naked. And if you, if you were hungry and you were, you were longing for satisfaction, deep soul satisfaction, and you realize that Jesus is the bread of life that came into the world and he gave you his very body to feed your soul and you are deeply satisfied with Jesus, then you want others to be fed. And if you realize you were in prison and you had the chains of sin and death holding you down and you know that Jesus didn't just come visit you in prison, but he took your place in prison, on the cross, so that you can be set free to live a new life, and you wanna visit those who are enslaved and see them go free, right? That's why Jesus is saying in that particular parable, depart from me, you never knew me, because if you knew what I did to you, you would do it to others, but in as much as you don't do it to others, it shows you don't know what I did for you. I was hospitable to you. I ran into the camp for you. I took on your sin. I took on your death penalty. I took on all that I needed to to set you free so you can run home to dad. To a party where the angels are rejoicing when you come home. I remember one time one of our renters showed up on a one afternoon at our house, we have some rental homes, and one of them showed up at our door, and you know, there's a threshold there, so I stay at the threshold, and he's on the other side of the threshold. And I'm asking him, how, you know, how can I help you? And we have our conversation, and we get done, and the door closes, and I go inside, and Janie says, I'm just curious, if that had been Jesus, 
that showed up at our house? What would have been different? I'm kind of like, don't go there. (laughs) And at the same time, I'm like, I need you to go there. We need to go there. I think we had a little conversation. What would it look like if we believed that? I said, well, man, I'd be, I would have been on my face worshiping him. <laughs> so God, I don't think that's appropriate to do in my renter, but, but I said I would have invited him in. I would ask, what can I, can I help you? Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Do you need anything? And I haven't done that all the time, but I'll tell you, when I do, it's almost like, it's almost like I, I'm feeling a release of that grip on my stuff. It's like, this is your house, God. I want others to experience your love here. What would you do, Father? I don't want to be enslaved by the things I have. I want the things that I have to be an opportunity to see others be freed from slavery, from brokenness, from loneliness. I want to be clear. You and I are surrounded by plenty of homeless people. Now, we have some that are amongst us here, and thank God we get to love them well, but I'm not talking about just homeless people that don't have a roof over their head. I'm talking about homeless people who don't have a home, don't have a family. They're alone. Let's treat them in the way we've been treated. Make space for them. Love them like you would want to be loved, and love them like you have been loved. Listen to these words in Ephesians 2 as I come toward the end here. You could just listen to this. Therefore, remember that at one time you, gen- you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcision, which really for the Jewish people were like, those are the outsiders, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two to make peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I love that. Jesus kicked down the door of hostility. He just kicked it down. He said, you're all welcome to come in now. Nothing is keeping you from the Father's love. Nothing's keeping you from coming home. I've done everything I need to do so you can come home. And he goes on. So then you're no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. Ah, oh, that's why we don't go to church, right? We We belong to the household of God. We gather together as the body of Christ, but this isn't the house. You're the house. And the house is going to a world that needs to be at home with God. They need to be at home with his people. They need to know the love of God, not because you tell them God loves them, but because they get brought in to a loving family that loves them even if they don't believe in a way that will help them learn how to belong and come to God by faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you know that years ago, Janie and I, we moved 
into a context where the woman living next door to us had been a hoarder for many, many years. You may have heard me talk about Nikki before. And, um, and it took us a, a year and a half or so before she finally let us into her life. Took a lot of times over and over and over again of trying to love her well. Getting rejected over and over again. And I remember the key phrase we kept saying is, how would you love her if she were your family? That was really key. Like, love her like she belongs, even if she doesn't. And eventually the door got kicked down. And she came home to Jesus. She came to the Father through Jesus. And she passed away this last year, a year ago, this past August. And we had a beautiful memorial service. And Janie did a wonderful job just honoring her and proclaiming Jesus well. And I got to help emcee it. And afterwards, Jonathan... Her, nephew, her, her grandson came to me and he said, and he had been in the hospital room while she was on her last few days of life, on life support, and our missional community was with her throughout all that. They were in and out, and he said, you know, I want, I want to move in next door. That's Nikki's house. I said, you don't want to move in there. I mean, it hasn't been opened in 23, 24 years that she didn't throw anything away for 23, 24 years because she didn't want to lose anything ever again. So you can imagine what was in there. He said, no, no, I want to be, I want to know what it's like to live next to you guys. I want, I want to be a part of the family. Clearly, Nikki became part of the family. I want to be part of the family. I said, well, we're going to have to do a lot of work to clean that thing up. He said, let's do it. So about 16 or 17,000 pounds of garbage later, about two months worth of work, Jonathan moved in. I remember one time with the full ventilator mask and the full suit and gloves and everything, pulling stuff out, and if you can imagine that many years of never throwing anything away, and the stuff that was in there, is the, I've never seen anything more gross in my life. Jonathan and I were in her bedroom the others were in other rooms that we were there and nobody wanted to go in there. It was probably the worst out of all the rooms and we're cleaning it out and we'd have to take breaks and go outside and get a breather, come back in. I remember while I was, I was taking, a, I was grabbing something and throwing it away and it was, it was just really gross. And as I did it, I, I, I was communing with the Lord. I was about the only way I could do it was just to keep praying. Lord, help me. I don't know how to love well. I want to get out of here. <laughs> kind of tired of this. Uh, one thing I've learned, by the way, is to be able to be hospitable like Jesus requires that you have Jesus. I can't do it without him. And so my communion was pretty rich because I really needed him badly. And at one point, I, heard, I, I thought, I was talking to him, I said, this is so filthy. And he said, yeah, like your sin. I was like, oh. <laughs> and then I said, and you took that on. He went to the cross and took on my sin for me. You came into my house and cleaned up my heart so you could dwell in me. You, you took this on yourself, Jesus. And he said, I didn't just take it on. Jeff, I became it. I remember 2 Corinthians 5, 21 popped in my head. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In that moment, I just started to weep. You became worse than this for me. My mask started to fill up with tears. <laughs> it got foggy. 
Jonathan looked across and said, are you okay? I said, yeah, <laughs> I'm good. It's one of the most profound moments of worship I've ever had in my life. The stinkiest, dirtiest, most disgusting place was the most profound moment of encounter with my Savior's love for me. I'm sort of thinking, I'm trying to clean this up so Jonathan can move in. He goes, I cleaned you up so I could move in, Jeff, into your heart. If you've experienced that, let it come out of you. Be a home that Jesus is present in and a home where people can meet Jesus through. Family, I hope we become that kind of loving home. And maybe there's some of you here today that need to come home. Right now, Jesus died for your sin. He became your sin. He went to the cross to destroy the power that sin has to condemn you, to leave you feeling guilty and full of shame. He took it for you. Come home today to the Father who has open arms for you. And those of us who have come home, Let's be home for those who haven't yet. Let's pray. Father, your love for us is beyond measure. Your grace is without limit. Your forgiveness warms our hearts. We come home to you again today, Father. Maybe we were in hostility all week with you or with someone else. We want to come home to your hospitality. Clean us up. Fill us with your presence so that we might be a home for those who are far from home today. In Jesus' name, amen.